The biggest obstacle in your life today could be one of the smallest words in the English language. So many times we blame everyone and everything else for our situation when the problem is this little two-letter word. What is that word? If. I'll give my life to Jesus if. Fill in the blank. How often this word stands in the way of our obedience to God. I would share Jesus with people at my job if... I'd start tithing if... I would enter into the worship today if... I'd spend more time with my kids I would if... go on that missions trip I'd start if, treating my wife better if... God, I'll really start serving you if... By adding if, we make excuses. We bargain with God. We set conditions for our obedience or try to shift the responsibility to others. The word if implies that God needs to do more to hold up his end of the bargain. He has already done what we need most. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us based on if. He died for us because. Because he loved us with an unquenchable love. Let's not obey God if. Let's obey him because. Let's love God because. Let's lose the if. Because. We've seen in Paul's letter to the Philippians that we are sinners who are saved by God's grace, who've been made saints in Christ Jesus. And so we're called to be servants of Christ, called to, to live wholeheartedly for Him. But often we can let things get in the way of this commitment to the Lord. We are tempted to say that we would serve Christ if our circumstances were better. Or people around us were more helpful. Or we had a better idea of what was going to happen in the future in our lives. But God doesn't want us to serve Christ if. He wants us to serve Him no matter what, because of who he is and because of what he has done. And it was this commitment that Paul expressed in his letter to the Philippians. Paul had experienced really tough circumstances and painful personal attacks and great uncertainties in his life. But he overcame all of them to serve Christ no matter what. So we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1 this morning, verse 12 down to verse 26. And Jason's going to come and he's going to read to us now. Thank you, Jason. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me when I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing 
is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Thank you very much, Jason. Paul's circumstances were far from ideal. When he said in verse 12 that what has happened to me, that included his arrest in Jerusalem, a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea, a transfer to Rome via a shipwreck in Malta, and house arrest in Rome, where he waited to stand trial before Caesar with a threat of execution hanging over him. During that time he was guarded by Praetorians, well-trained soldiers who watched his every move. Paul would have had no privacy, no liberty, no freedom to travel to, to new towns and villages and tell them about Jesus. But Paul didn't mention this to the Philippians to complain to them. He wasn't looking for their sympathy or their pity. Instead, he wanted to know the Philippines to know that all of this has really served to advance the gospel. Paul wanted them to see that even through his challenging circumstances, God was at work in bringing people into contact with the life-changing message of the gospel. That God wasn't just working despite Paul's difficult circumstances, but he was working through Paul's difficult circumstances. And there were two ways that this was happening. First of all, Paul said here in verse 13, that it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. The soldiers, they thought that Paul was their captive. But actually, they were a captive audience to Paul. As he shared with them the reason for his imprisonment, his faith in Jesus, the one who could set captives free. And Paul had done this thing, kind of thing before. There were people in this church, a family in this church in Philippi, who came to Christ because Paul and Silas, with their backs bleeding, in a prison cell, had sung and prayed and witnessed to Christ. 
Again and again, Paul tried to see the, 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 the problems and the opportunities, where the problems that he was in, they were opportunities for the gospel. And he taught that we should try to do the same. So he wrote in Colossians chapter 4 verse 5, make the, make the most of every opportunity. Challenging circumstances in our lives can often feel like chains. Chains that restrict us, that stop us, that, that, that stop us from sharing Christ, that stop us from doing what we love, long to do for Christ. But those challenging situations don't need to defeat us. God wants to use us wherever we are, whatever we're, we're going through, as we keep on sharing Christ, even in those challenging times. And as we do this, we can also inspire others to do the same. As a result of Paul's situation, Paul said this in verse 14, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Here's a strange thing. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. Now you imagine that that might have put some people off from ever speaking about the gospel. They didn't want to get, suffer the same as what Paul did. But no, it was the opposite. Instead of putting other people off from doing the same, Paul became an inspiration to them to fulfill God's calling on their lives. Years ago, I remember uh, read, reading the story of Keith Green. He was a Christian musician who was committed to living for Christ and sharing the gospel. But in 1982, at the age of just 28 years old, he was killed in an aircraft crash, along with ten others, including two of his own kids. It seemed such a needless, such a pointless tragedy. But what has always stuck in my mind was, in the book that I was reading, it was written by his widow, Melody, she wrote about the impact of his death. So many people were challenged and inspired by this man's life. But even more were challenged and inspired by his death. When he was killed, many people cried out to God, asking, Lord, who is going to speak to our generation now? And the answer that many received was, you are. Paul was convinced that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And of course we don't always know how God is going to work for our good in these difficult circumstances. And we don't often see immediately how God is doing that. But through sharing Christ, even in the most challenging of times in our lives, we can be confident, like Paul was, that God is at work in our lives. And He is working for our good. But sadly, 
Not all of the people who were inspired to share the gospel when Paul was imprisoned for his faith did it out of pure motives. Yes, some preached out of goodwill. They preached in love, as it says in verse 15 and 16. They knew that Paul was suffering for the gospel and they resolved to continue to do what he could not in that present situation. And Paul rejoiced in their partnership in this work. But incredibly there were others who spoke not out of goodwill, not in love, but out of envy and rivalry. Out of selfish ambition. Now Paul, he didn't go into great detail about how they were trying to do this. But it seems they were trying to use Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to promote themselves. Maybe they were thinking that with Paul out of the way, they could take the limelight. They could step into the foreground. And they could make a name for themselves among the brothers and the, and the sisters in the church. They also hoped to stir up trouble in some way for Paul, as it says in verse 17. Now, of course, that is wrong. Motives are crucially important in serving Christ. There's something really wrong with serving God in a selfish and self-centered way. Those two things just don't go together. There's really something false in promoting ourselves as we point people to Jesus. Later in this letter, Paul wrote in chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. So folks, we need to regularly check our hearts and check our motives. Allow God's Word to to judge our thoughts and attitudes and ask God's Spirit to cleanse us of, of any of these impure motives in our service for the Lord. We're not supposed to serve the Lord for ourselves, for what we can get out of it, to make a name for ourselves. But how should we respond when other people do serve Christ out of wrong motives. Sadly today, there are Christians who are tempted to compete with other people in church or use their ministry as an opportunity to show off or to grab position and prestige. So how should we respond when we see people do this? How should we respond if we suffer as a result of it? Well, look at what Paul said. Verse 18. Incredibly, he said, what does it matter? What does it matter? He wasn't saying that what they were doing was okay. Or he wasn't saying that nobody should challenge them about this. If, if, they were, if, if they'd a friend, a Christian friend, that they should just keep silent and not challenge them. Because these people obviously were sinning and they needed to repent. So they needed to get help to do that. But Paul, he wasn't going to spend his time getting angry over these hypocritical preachers. He wasn't going to try and defend himself. 
dwell on their attack or the undoubted pain that they'd caused him. And he knew that just discussing and condemning these, Philipp- these people to the Philippians and getting all worked up about it, it wasn't going to help anybody. It wouldn't done anybody any good. And anyway, Paul knew, as he wrote in Romans chapter 14, who are you to judge someone else's servant? We don't have the right or the resources to accurately assess or to judge another Christian's service for God. They don't answer to us. They answer to the Lord. So we should leave them in the Lord's hands to deal with. But more than that, Paul could find, even in this situation, a reason for rejoicing. Look at verse 18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Popularity, respect, or position didn't matter to Paul. He didn't focus on what other people thought about him or did to him. The important thing for him was that the true gospel of Jesus was preached. And so even when that was being preached from false motives, Paul believed that the gospel was still the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so Paul could rejoice that people were still hearing the true message about Jesus. This is Paul's servant attitude. Caring less about his own reputation than what people thought about Jesus. He wasn't ambitious for himself. His ambition was that he just wanted more and more people to hear about Jesus. And that's the attitude that we need when others try to put us down or compete with us. Not to fight back, not to complain, not to condemn. That would just be a waste of our time and effort and it would produce bitterness in our hearts and distract us from our efforts to serve the Lord. Instead, our priority must be to keep on just ensuring that Christ is preached. And his kingdom advancing. And if that is happening, then we can rejoice in that. And just go on with fulfilling God's call on our lives. So our job is not to go around looking at everybody else and judging how they are doing and whether they're doing it from pure or impure motives. It's not to go and spend our time on the internet just going through all the different preachers out there, all the different teachers out there and seeing which one is right and which one is wrong. What a waste of time that would be. Instead, our call is to serve the Lord. As Peter said, sorry, as Jesus said to Peter, when Peter was being tempted to, to compare his ministry with that of John's, Jesus said to Peter, what is that to you? 
you must follow me. And we're called to do this even when our future is uncertain. Even when we're not sure what's going to happen. Paul, he was facing a trial before Caesar. And although he seemed to be increasingly confident of a good verdict, even as he wrote this letter, he was far from certain about his future. He wasn't sure if he was going to be released or executed. And to some extent, he wasn't even sure what he wanted to happen. Look at verse 22. What shall I choose? If it was his choice, which obviously it wasn't. What shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. He was being pulled in these two directions. He could see the advantage of both being released and being martyred. And he wasn't sure which one would be best. Of course, we too live in a, light, in a world of uncertainty, don't we? Of course, God knows everything that's going to happen in our lives. David wrote in this wonderful psalm, Psalm 139, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows the whole story of, the, of our lives. Nothing will ever surprise him. But God does not reveal these details to us. He doesn't remove the uncertainty from our lives. James wrote, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. We don't. We've all got plans for what we're going to do tomorrow. Go to school, go to college, go to work, clean the house. Maybe go out for lunch, do some work at home, whatever it is. But in reality, none of us know what tomorrow will bring. None of us know if we're going to have a tomorrow. None of us do. But even in this place of uncertainty, there are things that we can be confident of. Things that we can be certain of. Things that we can know for sure that can help us in our service for the Lord. Paul, I think, mentions at least four of them in this passage. And let's just finish by looking at them. First of all, we can be certain of our destination. Unless the Lord comes back, we will all face death. It's a reality, isn't it? Somebody says there's two things that are certain in the world. Death and taxis. Death, certainly. But Paul wrote here, verse 21, to die is gain. Now that obviously wasn't because Paul longed to die and just be, be done with life. But it's because Paul knew that death had been defeated by Christ's own death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. And so for him, death held no dread. Because it simply meant to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Verse 23. And if we have trusted in Jesus, 
And we can share in that confidence. We can be confident that whatever happens, one day we too will be with the Lord, which will be better by far. One day He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. If we have trusted in Jesus, then whatever happens in our lives, heaven is our final destination. The Father's house is our eternal home. So we can be certain about our destination, but we can also be clear about the goal of our lives. Paul's goal was, verse 20, that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or death. Whatever happens, Christ will be exalted. Whatever happened, whatever circumstances he faced, whatever people thought about him, his ambition was always to exalt Jesus. Reveal the greatness of Jesus. To honour Jesus in everything that he did. That was his passion. That was his ambition. That was his goal. And that can be our constant goal too. As we go through life, our ambitions change, don't they? When we're young, we want to be a a famous soccer player or or, or something like that. As we get older, we want to maybe just get a little bit of promotion so we get a little bit more comfortable in our work and we want our kids to be well. As you get older, you just want to rest and you just want to be able to put your feet up and relax. But in all of those different stages of our life, our constant goal should be to exalt Jesus. To make the most of Jesus. To honour Him. To praise Him, the One who is our Lord and Saviour. That priority should be above every other. No matter what we're going through in our life. Thirdly, we can also live with a constant commitment to serve Christ. This incredible little phrase in in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. Paul's life was all about living in relationship with Jesus. Growing in his knowledge of Jesus. Serving Jesus. So life for him was just an opportunity to do that. An opportunity to serve his Lord. Verse 22. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. That's why even although Paul was looking forward to heaven, he was content to wait on God's timing for that. He was content to say, well, okay God, heaven would be far better, but for now, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body, he says, verse 24. His desire was to fulfill God's call on his life, to do everything that Christ had asked him to do. To preach the gospel to those who didn't know about Jesus and to help others to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And in all of the uncertainties of our lives, this too should be our constant commitment to serve Jesus, 
Whatever opportunities or challenges we face, this should be our desire, our loving response to all that Jesus has done for us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, in view of God's mercy, in view of communion, in view of the cross, in view of His atoning sacrifice for us on the cross. How do we respond to that? Well, the only, only reasonable response is to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. How we do this and where we do this and how long we do this for, well, that's in God's hands. But living for Christ should be our constant commitment. But finally, if we do this, then we can know the same confidence that Paul expressed here. There are a number of verses where he expressed this. Verse 19, confidence that God would continue in his work. I know that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, he says. Verse 20, confidence that despite the tough circumstances ahead, he will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. That he won't crumple under the pressure, but he will stand strong in it all. And verse 25, confidence that God would use him to help others, that he will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. Paul was facing these incredible, difficult circumstances. He was uncertain about his future. He had people who were out to to make it difficult for him. And yet Paul could be confident. Why? How could he be so sure in the face of all of these unknown events and challenges? Well, it was because his confidence was not in himself. His confidence was in the Lord. Look at verse 19. He told the Philippians he would experience all of this through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident that the Lord would provide everything that he needed in answer to the prayers of the brothers and sisters in Christ and through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God, who came to live in him the day that he trusted in Jesus. And this is the confidence of the servant of Christ. It's not self-confidence. It's not self-reliance. It's not even confidence in in other people or our leaders or our church. It's confidence in God. As Paul wrote near the end of this letter, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. And we can say the same. If we've trusted in Jesus, then we can today, no matter what we face today or in the future, we can say, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Not because we are confident in ourselves, 
but we are confident in God, the one who lives in us by the presence of his Holy Spirit. In our lives, our circumstances will often be challenging. People around us will often be difficult. Our future, well, our future is always uncertain. But we don't need to allow any of those things stop us from serving Christ. If our priorities are to share the gospel of Christ and to encourage other people to trust in Christ and in everything we do to honour Christ, then we don't need to be afraid of anything. Because whatever happens, we can be confident in Him. That He will never leave us. That He'll provide for everything that we need. And that one day, He will bring us to be with Himself forever. Which will be better. By far.